Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So we're here to talk about WWDC, obviously, since we're live, and uh, just want to put it around the table here. So what uh, what did you think was the most impressive thing you've seen? Well, I think uh, people are probably going to agree on this, but the Swift UI stuff was very impressive. Right. And what was impressive is how uh, much it seems to be a representation of ideas that we see in other language communities mm-hmm. and other stacks. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, people were saying, why doesn't Apple do this? Look how backward they are. And then, whoa, lo and behold, they've actually been working on it for years, <laughs> and it seems pretty good. Um, one thing that's especially interesting to me is how some of the language features that we knew about uh, actually turn out to be very useful for supporting this. So there was, suggests there was this motivations for some of the language development that we weren't aware of. And uh, I think the big question in my mind just looking at it is uh, probably, again, a question a lot of people are having. But this looks really great. It looks really great for simple apps. It, hopefully it'll be really great for complex apps too, but I want to like see you know how that works, like how the interop is and, and what's like fundamentally better about it that uh, will make it work better for complicated apps and what's, uh, you know, somewhat better, but it's not going to it's not going to take away all the problems that are just part of user interface application development. Right. It seems mm-hmm. to be something that will make develop easy easy for people to adopt development and writing for uh, app or Apple platforms. But um, is it is it very close to React? You know, React Native or uh, I'm not an authority on that, but I think the basic uh, model of declarative representation of the UI and then strong patterns that enforce a functional like data flow pattern where you get the model goes to view and that's a reliable one way path. That's not just uh, you know React Native, but it's like React. On the web. So it's, a, it's a model view view model kind of idea. I whenever model view view model comes up, I start on a like maybe somewhat uncharitable rant about like people just say model <laughs> view view model because they keep they keep like to invent new acronyms. But really, anyone who was doing MVC correctly was already being fairly orderly about how they would progress state into the views. So why do you need a new acronym for it? Why don't you right. just do it right? And then I start feeling like a really cranky curmudgeon. <laughs> so I, I would not want to be uh, you know presenting myself as an authority of whether it's MVVM. I, I would say that as near as 
I can tell, the essence of the idea, which is available in uh, other languages and other kind of uh, user interface patterns as well, is please be careful about the state, which which is, represents values mm-hmm. that are going to appear as views, and then have a nice, clean, orderly function that takes your values and emits your views, the stuff on screen. And uh, in some sense, I would say people who are very organized about MVC or reasonably organized around it are already working in that way. Mm-hmm. You can see the functions that move uh, model values into your views, whether you're creating views or updating them. But there's a difference between having a complicated system where it's possible to use it in an orderly way and having a system that makes the guidelines and rails very clear that you that you move along. So when I look at this, it seems to me like it makes things better by making those guidelines and rails really clear. That's sort of a superficial difference, but it's one that makes a big difference. Like Ruby on Rails was so successful partly because it was really articulating a clear opinion on paths, on a style of development and architecture that would work well. Uh, the question in my mind is, uh, what are the benefits besides those ones that come from just making the path clear? Are there other benefits that make the system fundamentally more composable mm-hmm. uh, than what we work with with UIKit? And I don't really know yet because I haven't I haven't tried, but, uh, but that's the thing that's really on my mind. I can see how this is better in ways that are sort of superficial, but that can be really important, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a way like Swift introduced these supports for functional programming that were kind of superficial, like better syntax for immutability, better support for passing closures around, for defining closures. You do all these things in Objective-C. So in some way, the advantages that Swift provided functional programming were kind of superficial, but they were really important superficials. They made it so easy and accessible that it became convenient and people did it. But in the same way, I wonder, are the benefits for user interface application development in Swift UI uh, superficial but very important, or are there also you know, much deeper benefits and kinds of composability that come out of the model? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, but that's that's the question that's really on my mind. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, w- I wonder if some of the simplifications are going to make it harder to do very complicated layout, like right. some of these really crazy collections where views are moving all over the place. Or any time you want to be able to do that. Yeah, anytime you want to do something custom, is this going to be, you know, kind of like storyboards? Like, it'll make an easy thing easier, mm-hmm. and then the moment you want to do something that's not easy, now you're actually in a world that was more complicated than it was before? Like, it makes easy things easy, it makes harder things harder. Or right. is it going to make right. easy things easy and make hard things also easier? Right. Which is what we're all hoping for. But yeah, we'll have to see. I'm trying not to just come off as, like, curmud- <laughs> curmudgeonly, because I haven't really, like, tried to build that's, anything. That's Mark's job, actually. Right. Okay. Right. I'll, I'll uh, you know, outsource my, my curmudgeonliness to you. Like, uh, I mean, I agree with everything Alexis was saying, I think there's, uh, you know, the language features seeing like a really interesting sort of like way of seeing the progression here and like the things that they were adding over the years through Swift Evolution and everything else eventually, you know, paying off here. And I do think that there is, you know, a really um, encouraging sign seeing Apple taking good ideas from other places and incorporating them into Swift and Xcode, um, you know, the value types and immutability and making that, you know, first class citizens and trying to integrate them into everything. Uh, where I see the similarity to React and this kind of stuff is in the diffing updates. And they even had, I was looking for it in my notes, but it is something about learn once, use everywhere. That's right. very yeah, close to that. that slogan that, you know, sort of different frameworks are using. I was actually talking to another developer who does Flutter uh, right. for her company, and she's like, oh, there's so many similarities. And she was looking at the Swift UI hashtag on Twitter, and there was Flutter developers with, like, screenshots of Dart and Swift next to each other. So I think that's all, you know, actually encouraging and sort of promising and um, you know it's definitely appealing to like the web developers with the uh, live previews that are mm-hmm. reloading yeah. as you type or you know you can make um, active and then you know even click around and see the live update and yeah you could say there's it. there's like three stories here there's like a tooling story kind of live updates like people are used to who use like CodePen or JavaScript developers mm-hmm. there's a kind of programming model story uh, declarative representations of the UI that's directly passed into the converted to views through pure functions managed by 
by the framework. Um, and then the third aspect is the platform unification story. Like the fact that you know, the Swift UI thing can be used for the watch and iPad right. and, yeah. and the phone yeah. and, and tvOS. If they'd only announced just the platform unification story, like if it was kind of the old stuff, but hey, now it works everywhere, we'd probably still feel like that was kind of cool and a mm-hmm. lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. But there's so much in this that it takes a while to unpack it. Yeah, it's funny. I've, I've been hearing a lot of things from other people about like it's, it's not really ready for production and that kind of stuff. And I think there's a bit of naysaying happening. People even calling it SUI on online, you know, SUI. Mm. Um, but that's what they said about Swift One. But that <laughs> didn't stop me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I was using that it in my notes a couple just years. Well, it was ready then. coming at it from a, from a non-computer science background, I mean, like you know, I started off with scripting languages and that kind of stuff, like you know, the PHP's and your file, and even using FileMaker Pro kind of uh, stuff where you just kind of drag things, even HyperCard, if we go back that far. And that was very similar. You just sort of put things together and, and you know, kind of, if you needed to do something, you had to go and research, like, how, what do I do with this mouse click, that kind of stuff, right? But um, I kind of wonder, is it is it like going to introduce programming or iOS development to more people, or even watch development to more people, because it's simplified in a sense? Yeah, I think you'll, I mean, just look at the tools. It looks so much more accessible, and I think that'll make a difference. It's funny that you mentioned uh, dynamic programming environments here, though, mm-hmm. because the irony is that one of the most dynamic programming devices Environments for building up user interfaces was Smalltalk, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, yeah. and Objective C was, you know, originally supposed Derivative, to kind of yeah. capture the dynamism of Smalltalk while also giving you access to the performance of C. And I think, uh, you know, in much earlier iterations when Interface Builder uh, was more of a first-class citizen code, that that uh, promise was closer to being there. But in some, but in some way now we're like moving away from the stack that originally uh, was motivated by and was was intended to provide this dynamism. That's mm-hmm. that's another puzzle here, right? Like Swift is a fairly static language compared to Objective-C. And I think traditionally um, dynamic development environments uh, have been based in dynamic languages and people thought that was necessary. Smalltalk and Lisp, classic, uh, like very dynamic languages that also had these very impressive um, development environments, like whether it's the old like Lisp machines or just the fact that you can like hack your, co- hack your text editor while you're writing in it in Emacs and Smalltalk with the object browsers. Um, but now we're seeing with Swift this effort to create the kind of very dynamic development environment but on top of the static language that requires these extra language features, and uh, I hope it works out. I hope it works out. Uh, right, right. But, it, but it, 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 there's some like interesting ironies when you think about the history of it all here. So we've been, you and I have been chatting back and forth on Slack with Jaime on our MTJC Slack, mm-hmm. and you were asking, because you hadn't seen any of the stuff yet, or even the keynote yet, like, what is this? Like, where is the view controller? Where is this stuff hidden? I mean, I right, do have an answer right. for you. Like, apparently, it's a home view controller, which is a subclass of UI view controller, which they mentioned yesterday. But so what do you think about this this new paradigm? Maybe a chance to look at it at all? Well, I've looked at it a little bit. I haven't gone deeply into it. Uh, it, it looks it looks pretty interesting. At, at the same time, though, I am happy to see that they haven't completely forgotten about UIKit uh, with some of the new language features. There was a, a real nice talk on these uh, diffable uh, data sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think data flow in, in particular UI, with UI. respect to collection views that mm-hmm. was real nice. So so I am glad to see. So just in case this stuff isn't really ready for prime time, there's at least some attempt to retrofit some of the new language features back to this thing. Uh, uh, yeah, I haven't had a chance to see the, the collection view talk, but apparently that they didn't quite go like it. You know. It, we joked about this a couple of weeks ago and last week about the about there's always some sort of overriding overarching theme that's in everything like everything mm-hmm. has Swift UI in it at some point mm-hmm. um, and we've seen that with dark mode or not dark mode but we've seen that with the large font type everything had to have large font type this sort of becomes a running theme of almost a gag at WWDC actually um, I would say the theme is is more combined rather than combined no, so that's where I was going to go now I was going to ask about combined because mm-hmm. to be honest with you I will be honest with you I haven't completely wrapped my head around it I went to a session yesterday which kind of explained it was called combined practical belief and talking about you know having a publisher and then having um, a subscriber uh, mm-hmm. as, as as you know how the communication goes to, and then send subscriber sense of view that kind of stuff and there was another uh, I have to look at my notes too but there was another 
better uh, uh, medium for doing that. So, um, so what do you what do you think about combined? What can you say about it? Again, I, I don't know too much about it because I, I was exposed just you know Briefly, just yeah. as much as you have. But but my impression is that it's a it's kind of a nice modern way of taking uh, NS notations and right. KVO and yeah. kind of all wrapping it up into a nice clean wrapper. Yeah. Uh, and it's clearly the uh, underlying technology to all the bindings that are in Swift UI. Sure, yeah. It's definitely under the hood there. So it looks it looks pretty interesting. Uh, again, need to dig more into it. Yeah, so the that. session I went to yesterday, they talked about you know callbacks, uh, closures, mm-hmm. notifications, and KVO being all sort of part of this thing. And they went on, they talked about it quite a bit using Combine in, in regular develop, regular iOS development. But then they talked about the special handling that Swift UI has because mm. it makes it a lot simpler. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, almost to the point where I don't need to understand it, which kind of scares me in a sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> it scares you in a sense, I'm sure. Mm. <laughs> no surprise there. So, Jaime, you and I both picked the same thing again. <laughs> Only mine looks different than yours. I think, yeah, yours and mine are the same. So, go ahead. Spoil my party. Yeah, there's uh, some nice tutorials out there and some nice documentation. The first one is the tutorials site. So, developer.apple.com slash tutorial slash Swift UI mm-hmm. has uh, sort of a nice, really cool, you know, why should you even care if you're not convinced so far sort of little site. But then also critically has the tutorials, which cover the essentials, drawing and animation, app design and layout, and framework integration. So, working with UI kit, for example. And I've only stepped a little bit through these and really need to sit down and deal with it but it's really pretty neat and it's kind of cool how it shows you step by step what you should be seeing and what should be happening word to the wise if you haven't gone um, and created a volume for catalina or i guess even gone all in on on the beta for your main machine if you're running anything lower than catalina you can do swift ui but you will not get the live preview that they showed on stage so that's something that people were getting tripped up on yeah so you gotta you gotta you know build and rerun like an animal like we used to back two weeks <laughs> ago <laughs> yeah who could do that yeah no yeah i've been playing with it uh, quite a bit um did a quick demo for the folks at work uh yesterday as well so yeah i'm, I'm really liking it and it's also pretty early days I, i've not encountered this in the uh in the tutorials yet but some people said like oh um looks like some stuff will come in future seeds of the betas like uh ui split view controller for ipad and catalyst or something i forget what i'll see if i can find the tweet and the other thing would be that um i think the form element is also one that will come in a future seat. Right, I believe right. that one is known. So uh, just like real, real early days of Swift, don't be surprised if things are uh, totally broken one week and then a week later we get a new seed and then it totally works. We have ABI stability now, don't we? I'm kidding. Um, I discovered one thing too, is and that's when I was working through it, that uh, if you make a mistake, like I made a typo in one of my one of my lines of code, I, I typed in a variable name incorrectly, and um, yeah, it started showing errors all through the app and it, it, was, it showed every everywhere but where the actual error was. And I ended up having to go and do a diff uh, between what I changed and what was there before to see where I made a mistake. It was something like I forgot the I in the word image, for example. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was very confusing to try and figure out what where you had gone wrong. So if, you know, a little bit of uh, a little bit of patience sort of figuring out the landscape here in terms of um, kind of mistakes you can make and, and how they get displayed. So, But I did find that the um, there's, when you're in the preview mode, there's a little diagnostics um, thing. Like if, if your view doesn't render you can there's a diagnostic you can tap there and it'll tell you pretty much what what you're doing what's what's missing from from the uh, why it's unable to render the, the the preview right so um like if you make a mistake in your code obviously can't render that can't you know can't you know uh, build i guess right and you can you can force a build too like if you if you go in and as you're typing you know you get the sort of red marks in there and you know how sometimes the compiler takes a while especially on the slower machine like a macbook air uh it takes a while to sort of you know re rebuild you can actually do a command b 
and, and get it to, to do a build to, to catch up to where you are in your code, right? Like if you're ahead of the compiler. So, yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's really interesting to sort of see, you know, the minimal amount of code you can put in to get some pretty cool effects, right? Yeah. Did it make you nostalgic for the first seeds of Swift uh, and how broken the tooling was? Well, it's not, it's not that bad. I mean, I, I know I did tweet about it this afternoon, but it, 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 was a, it was a little confusing at first. Like I'm looking at this thing going, okay, what did I do wrong? And, and it's not really clear that, you know, this line here is the one where you made the mistake. Like in, in current versions of uh, Swift 4 and 5, it's much clearer about where the mistake was. But I, I don't know if you remember back in, in, I think around Swift 2, if you made a mistake, you know, it might show you the error five or six lines or even a half a page away from where the actual error had occurred. Because, you know, somewhere else is trying to read in the, the broken data, right? And that's why it shows the error where it does, right? So um, it, it can be a little, little confusing if you're if you're running to that. So I've been, what I've been doing is as I'm going through is, is every time I do something successful, I commit, right? And then if I go to the next step of a tutorial or whatever and I make a mistake, I can always go back and see, okay, what actual lines did I change? And what's cool about it is now is in Xcode 11, now can see the changes you've made. They've got that blue bar that appears on between the project navigator and the standard editor. Now you get a blue bar down the left-hand side. You can click on that and it'll, it'll show you like a diff between what you've what you've just done and what was there before. So I haven't really got into using the mini-map yet. That, I don't know if you have at all, Jaime, but uh, that you can scroll over that and, and jump right to um, different sections depending on how you break out your code, whether you use the, you know, the mark um, statements and stuff like that. I haven't tried that. I loaded the betas um, and I haven't like gone through and seen all the really cool little things you can do, like the mini-map. Yeah. Yeah, well, like I said, I took my sacrificial Mac with me down to the show. So uh, yeah, when I first installed Xcode 11, I stumbled across that why am I not getting a preview thing for you know a few hours and then and dawned on me that uh, you need to put... Uh, actually, it was the, the diagnostic thing that said you can't, you can't preview this unless you're running on uh, Catalina. So that's where I discovered the benefit of having the, the diagnostic tool there and as well the fact that I need to update my OS. Yeah, I'm, I'm really liking it. I mean, like, it's it's so cool, so magical. Like, it's almost witchcraft, right, in terms of how, how cool it is, how, how, you know, getting instant results. It, it makes me reminiscent of when I was first learning uh, PHP, you know, because you, you could basically do stuff, refresh your browser, and then, you know, get a either an update of successful <laughs> deployment or a completely blank screen, you know, and you'd be scratching your head going, where did I go wrong? Usually misplaced comma or something like that, or semicolon. So this is an article by um, on Seashore.com, which is by Eddie Sullivan, a uh, I believe a consultant, software engineer. But the basic premise of this post is, what do you do when you can't use the new hotness and you can't use mm. Swift UI and combine? And he's got to think a very pragmatic approach of like, look, if even if you can't use it today, you can start thinking about your app in a way such that it will be easier to migrate in the future. Right, and right. Even if you just sort of read the um, um, the section headers like minimize sources of truth. Views represent a state, not a stream of events. Use an update function, dispatch modification events, and then figuring out, you know, when should a UI component own data and how are you mm. dealing with those impacts? And also you should probably create reusable components and prefer immutability. I think all of these are pretty, pretty good ideas if you want to get into the following the same architecture and lifestyle uh, and life cycle of data that Swift UI combined are leading us towards. Yeah, I did. He talks about this. Uh, he recommends this in, early in the article about the data flow through Swift UI. I did go to that session, and it covers a lot of. Uh, or was it Combine in practice? I'm going to start King Combine now. I guess. Anyway, um, you guys will have to get over it. Uh, the I, I watched one of the WDC videos where they had two different speakers. One of yeah. which called it Combine, and the other one called it Combine in the same talk. 
So I don't think anybody knows what it's really called. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, the, the, I think it was the uh, the, um, the combine in in practice. They talked about the three different ways, the three different paradigms for using combine. And I think that one was like sort of more in a traditional type app, and then it moved towards how you can get into using bindings and state and stuff like that in in Swift UI. So Swift UI does a, has a, handles a lot of it like automatically for you, just like it does with the the rest of the, the structure of the app. Um, um, whereas, you know, you have more of that sort of uh, publisher, subscriber, and, and who does what to whom kind of thing uh, to deal with in um, in the, you know, if you're really working in traditional uh, iOS apps or, or in macOS apps as well. So, But check out that uh, data flow through SwiftUI. I remember that one was, it was a good one, but also the combine in practice. Yeah, I, I think one that will be probably reasonably easy for folks to do uh, out of some of these things will be, I guess it's almost the same, two halves of the same coin, the um, views represent a state, not a stream of events, and mm-hmm. using an update function. The idea here, and it's something that I've used to really good effect, is to have your view be really as dumb as possible. Um, and that's more than just UI view. Like when we're talking about that sort of cohabitating UI view, UI view controller idea. Treat them both you know, almost roughly the same. We're talking about this architecturally. Right, and right. if you have your view or your know, view controller say, okay, this other thing is telling me what to do, right? And, and let's call it a view model. Model, you know, as loaded as that word is. Let's just call it that, right? This other thing is saying like, okay, I'm a view. What should I do with this image? Oh, use this image. Great. Um, I also need to display an attributed string here. Great. This other thing is telling me what to display and have that just be sort of a single pass-through sort of thing where as this view um, gets initialized with that data, it's setting, you know, all these different UI kit enabled things. And then if you want to deal with, well, what happens if a user chooses another thing and they want to have, uh, you know, the screen blink red, for example. Um, well, that's what the update function is about. That does sort of the second half of that life cycle where, oh, and now I need to change my background on some alternating schedule between, you know, red and not red, or I need to bold some text somewhere. But it makes it really easy to reason about like, wait, how did I even get into this state? Well, there's only a handful of entry points, ideally one, where that information would have changed. And that should be pretty similar to how combined is working with things where you're watching bindings and other uh, variables to say, oh, I am going to react to this change that has occurred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. There's, But there's one place where, where that can get a little tricky, and that's if you have long animations. Uh, honey, mm-hmm. what happens if, and I've faced this situation lots of times, and there's, there's not one simple answer, but if the state can change faster than the lifetime of the animation, how do you handle that? So say a state comes in, and and you know the result of the state is oh this animation needs to be kicked off as as a function of that state uh, and then uh, and then again as I said the state changes and the animation is still going that kind of thing can be a little bit tricky to handle in that that type of situation maybe maybe that just means you have to rethink how your animations work and that's sort of a design problem uh, and and so so maybe if you can if if you can have uh, all of your animations correspond to some existing state and then when the state changes, you can just turn off the animation, then maybe you can get around that kind of thing. But but sometimes that requires a little bit of thinking through, and, and it can be a little bit tricky. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think if I'm getting the flavor of what you're talking about, if you have that sort of um, you know deeper requirement,
environment, then you might have to use something like the UI um, UI property animators yep, yep. and hang on to stuff so you can be like, whoa, 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 this isn't a fire and forget um, UI view animate with duration, like whatever, like I don't care what happens, just do it. You might actually have to do a little bit of extra bookkeeping to say, whoa, I, the state has changed to this, so if this thing is there, I need to cancel it. But yeah. Don't do that animation, do this other one. And, and one thing that's interesting about UI property animators is that is that they can have parameters of their own. They can have properties of their own. So in theory, you can have a, an animation going and change a, a property of an animation in, on the fly by just changing the property on the UI property animator, which is kind of a cool thing. Yeah, and I guess if things really got hairy, I mean, these are we're talking about operations that are going to work kind of like NS operation, and you might end up having to use that sort of extra structure and infrastructure if you really got a, okay, this thing was going to fold itself into a triangle, but now it needs to look like pony. Right, right. Honey, why don't you dive in with some picks? Oh, yeah, how did we how did we decide this? Fracking Swift UI? We're just gonna we call, yeah, free show. Yeah, or gosh darn Swift UI. Yeah, the, the happier one is gosh darn Swift UI. And if you are familiar with the uh, Objective-C block syntax or the mm-hmm. Swift closure syntax sites, you can visualize in your head what the proper URL will be. But for sure, you will get there from gosh darn Swift UI. Be aware that the website itself has some profanity listed on there. It's sort of a, a nice little tip of the hat to the gosh darn block syntax website that people you learn and love. And what it's all about is sort of helping you understand what in the world is even, how do I even, what's going on in Swift UI. That's sort so, of a cheat sheet, right? Yeah. So it's got a little FAQ section of like, should I learn this? Should I learn it now? Will it replace these things? You know, that's good and all requirements. The bigger thing for me is just seeing everything laid out nicely in a tabular format of what is your UI kit equivalent? And what would that be in Swift UI? So it is your your uh, Rosetta Stone. It is your cheat sheet for how do those map? And then some examples of how would you deal with text? What about images? Or how do you deal with navigation and pickers and sliders and other things? So definitely you can um, use other resources like the official Apple Docs and tutorials. And Ray Renderlich's team has books coming out. Um, code plus design or design plus code from Meng is coming out with a, a course. And uh, Paul Hudson, the... Uh, the caffeine-filled vampire, as we mentioned last week. Yeah. <laughs> also yeah. already sure has he's like, published books three the, where, the time you know, we're like, listening to the show, yeah. Yeah, like, there's just so much content out there that sometimes just having a nice little cheat sheet that you could you could probably print out and have on your desk, or at least have here, so you can do a little uh, Control-F searching for like, oh, come on, man, like, I need to know, uh, how, how does a tab view work? What's a tab thing? Oh, it's a tab view. Okay, and then you can do this, 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 that. Okay, cool. Nice little examples. Right, cool. Yeah, no, it's definitely, definitely, I mean, and it's one of these picks where we kind of race to the to the. Google Notes, a Google Doc at the same time because I found it and headed over to paste it into the uh, show notes a couple of days ago. And of course, you know that that darn Jaime Lopez beat me there again. So. Yes, I've I've noticed there's a pattern to these. So you are at a distinct advantage when news comes out early in the morning because mm-hmm. you live in the three hour future, right? Right. You, you get to warn us when things are about to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, me, however, being three hours past of where you are, I'm at a very large advantage when things come out later at night, particularly because I'm, you know, kind of a severe night owl. So Mm -hmm. while you are dreaming happy thoughts about Swift UI and iPhones and other things, um, I'm diligently stealing all the best picks that come out late at night. Hmm. Interesting. Yep. There you go. All right. So I have two picks, unless Mark has a pick, stealth pick. Don't have a pick, although I'm hunting for information about this, these uh, segues here. Oh, now, now you're curious. Oh, okay. Well, now I found I'm a trouble. reference in, I found an article uh, 
Love by Patrick Balestra called uh, WWDC 2019, The Things You May Have Missed. That it mm-hmm. And there's just a whole bunch, whole list of things about that, that we might have missed. And one of them is very intriguing. It says, uh, it, it mentions the, the thing that Paul Husband was just talking about, but then the next line it says, similar improvements have been made to UI Storyboard Segway with the new at IB Segway Action modifier. You can pass additional context and parameters directly to the next Segway view controller that should be initialized. So that sounds exactly like what I'm looking for, although I haven't been able to right. find any docs on this explicitly. I'm still looking for that. So that's my pick. All right. Maybe I'll have more to say on that in a minute. All right. Okay, cool. These are, these are from Hacking with Swift Live 2019, which just uh, happened a couple of three weeks ago uh, in the UK, in Bath, England, and uh, hosted by our friend uh, Paul Hudson, uh, Two Straws, or the Hacking with Swift guy. Um, but the first one I want to talk about is is uh, Daniel Steinberg's talk uh, called The Swift Behind Swift UI. And it's a really fascinating talk. It's about, uh, I think it's around 30 minutes long, and it's, it's one of Daniel Steinberg has this really cool way of, of, of disseminating what is happening in Swift. I saw him do one of these on, I believe it was on Swift 3, and it was just as Swift 3 was coming out. Um, and this is at NS North 2016, I guess. Um, he did a talk, sort of talking about where Swift was going and why Apple would be going the way that, that they're going. Um, so in this one, he talked about a number of different things that, uh, behind Swift. And he, he started out by, by creating a, an error in a Swift UI file by, you know, uh, putting in a print statement and it spit out a, it spit out a bunch of other things and a couple of really weird errors like one about an opaque return type, blah, blah, blah. So he went through and he explains in this video, I'm just going to paraphrase a bit, he, he talks about implicit re- implicit returns, uh, which is now a feature in, in Swift 5. Um, talked about opaque return types, which we've talked about on the show bef- in the previous shows. Talked about function builders, which is, you know, a new thing in here. Property wrapper, property wrappers, which are the, you know, the at environment variable at binding, at um, state, uh, things that we've seen in Swift UI. Talks about map and flat map, and it's a cool example. He, he, he got this from uh, Erica Sadoon. Was he was showing how you could basically, you know, declare an image, and if it was an optional image, you could use map to unwrap it. So in other words, instead of having to use a flutz or whatever, you just pass it through a map, and if the image exists, then of course the map will execute whatever it's doing, and if it doesn't exist, it just will ignore it. So kind of a handy little way to use map to do that. And Again, check out the video for, for more detail on that. And he also talks about uh, Swift UI and Combine in the uh, in this in this particular talk. So it's it's really interesting to sort of see how he interprets what's happening in Swift UI and the Swift that is underlying it. Um, again, he also talks about that that home view uh, UI home view that I was talking about host, earlier. Host sweeper. Um, huh? Host. Not Hosting. Yeah, I see that again. UI hosting controller. Um, yeah, he talks about that as well in. in uh, explains that as well in here in part of his talk. So that's that's a cool talk. I recommend that one highly. So yeah, I wanted to talk about some of the uh, changes that happened in Swift uh, recently. Um, our friend, the bindable object, is no more. I don't know if you guys have heard that. Have you heard that? Wait, bindable objects no bindable more. Bindable object is gone, lost, and gone forever. Oh my darling Clementine, let me just get back to. So, so I'm sure it has been replaced by something. It has. The, yes, the I, function I'm just behind scrolling it back here yeah. to find it where it. Uh, yes, yeah, so it has been replaced by observable objects. Um, 
and binding object binding has been changed into observable objects as well. And so this is this is related to coming out of combine or combine uh, rather than just native Swift UI, right? So I'm reading from uh, Rene um, Rene Cachot uh, on on our Wonderlic thing. He also tweeted out about the changes here too. That um, I think um, did change is changed into will change as well. So this is sort of a if you've been following along with the tutorials and stuff like that over the last couple of uh, weeks or so, uh, you'll have to find you'll change your things uh, a bit more going forward. Yeah. So so many people are yeah some some like I said online tutorials are going to have to change um, that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is definitely oh, sorry, will uh, change is becoming object will change. That's what it is. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say this. This definitely seems like Swift UI 2019 is definitely uh, Swift 20. 14 isn't it where there's rapid and wild changes during the summer is that sort of the the tldr of yeah of this, well uh, it's still technically summer. in beta right so right so yeah i mean i'm not complaining about it so much as making a, a, a comparison because they admittedly have not gotten uh, gotten back into swift ui and, and haven't spent time on it but maybe i'll just wait till the dust settles in september and say all right let me uh, hopefully the the ray winderlich book will be done there too so i just crack that book open yeah. and say all right yeah now that it's settled for you know six months sure. let me let me see what's going on here sure. by the way so uh yeah it's true i, I did get a i got a swift ui book from um, from uh, hacking with swift uh, two straws paul hudson so i'll have to I'll have to see if there's an update for that lots of little changes here as we go right it's a moving target like it was in 2014 was it 2014 that changes happened in the 1.0 i think 2014 was when swift came out so it would go from zero zero point mm. one or something to 1.0 yeah and then 1.5 came out i think before the end of the year as well right or sometime early in the new year then we- yeah so i kind of wonder if swift ui will do the the same thing mm-hmm. remains to be seen yeah this comes via our friend Marin Torov, who's been a co-host on the show, and uh, uh, it's funny that 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 he would post this. But uh, he's found uh, a link. He's linked, sent a link here from the Swift UI Lab, um, talking about advanced UI. Sorry, advanced Swift UI transitions, and so it shows like you know buttons fading in and out, and and the code behind that. Um, more uh, uh, interesting things like uh, like buttons shrinking away, buttons moving across the screen, um, as well as you know iris opening up images and that kind of stuff so it's it's really interesting uh stuff like you know uh, um a view coming sliding in like like the scroller in star wars kind of effect uh um pictures you know transitioning from one image to another using you know different effects like similar to um the old uh powerpointy kind of things you know with with uh, like like opening up and closing like venetian blinds or or those old billboards so yeah if you're interested in of course you are interested in swift ui why would you get this far into the podcast without knowing about it um and uh, yeah check out these uh, different effects and this i'll have a link in the show notes for this one nothing crickets i think well i haven't <laughs> so the reason i couldn't participate too much in oh, the yes. earlier xcode yes. 11 um discussion is i haven't really focused on ios development that much for the past mm-hmm. month or so uh with the job change that we've we've mentioned so uh, developer advocate now, which means I sort of polyglot when it comes to you know, all sorts of different languages and stuff that I'll have to uh, to deal with and, and be at least you know vaguely familiar with. Um, so I haven't really messed a whole lot with uh, Xcode 11 recently. Um, uh, Swift UI is definitely top of mind of like wow, I definitely need to get with that and and combine, sit down and and really hammer out through some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But I do think um, it's sort of a, a meta thing that for folks 
were kind of wondering, like, how can I, you know, jump on this this train, right? So the iOS business has been going on for more than 10 years now. And mm-hmm. I've definitely heard from a lot of uh, newer folks and newer to software development folks that they're, they're pretty intimidated. And I think, you know what? This is actually a really, a really good time because I think very similar to the way that um, Swift sort of brought some new blood and brought us uh, a whole bunch of folks that are, are now people I could probably name. And I won't just to not call them out because mm-hmm. it, it seems a little weird. Um, but there are definitely people that you say, wow, I know who those people are and I can name them because, in my opinion, because Swift existed as of 2014, right? right like, otherwise, right. if it was just, you know, still Objective-C, you'd, you'd sort of still have the old guard of folks and it'd be crowding out, you know, um, any sort of new ideas, new discussion. I think Swift UI has a real good chance of, and, and combined, has a really good chance of doing the same. So if you're out there wondering, like, how can I newbie do conference talks? How can I do blog posts and podcasts and uh, YouTube videos and stuff? Like, I think this is a pretty good opportunity because everybody um, out there is a super newbie when it comes to Swift UI. Even the people who have, like, written books and done other things. Like, there are some people who are very good at, at picking up technology. They pick it up really quickly. But unless you're getting something from, like, the handful of people who actually developed this at Apple, everybody is, you know, pretty much on the same level playing field. So kind of going in the same drum beat about Hacktoberfest. If uh, if you wanted to start doing even just experimental stuff uh, in your own repositories, working with a friend or something, doing Swift UI stuff, combined stuff, I think paying attention to this and doing that will give you an opportunity to sort of get your face out there and, and get known. And I'm really excited to see that there will be some new faces of like, oh yeah, like I had never heard of this person before. And now like they are the rock star. Like look at this person who's done all this cool stuff with Swift UI. Looking forward to that. Only vaguely related to this article other than like, oh, that looks really cool. They didn't know you could do that, which is like three lines of code. By the way, there is one more thing. I forgot about this, but I just uh, found the link to it. Let me grab it. The URL. This is um, different than anything we talked about today. Hang on. Here it comes. In the spirit of uh, Greg Hio shadow picks. Yeah. Getting a live link here. So I read this one, uh, this article yesterday or the day before. Um, yeah, it must have been day before. Uh, called Transforming Operators in Swift Combine Framework. Map versus Flat Map versus Switches to lot Latest. Uh, just thought it was interesting, some of the things you can do. Uh, and this talks about, and it may have been pointed out to me by Marin. I'll, I'll give him credit for this one again. Um, about the difference with uh, in Combine, as I understand it, um, you are working with publishers as opposed to just straightforward objects, right? So um, you can transform publishers using flat map. You can't do it with map. Uh, if I, as I read this, right? Um, so you can you can convert things uh, in combine. It's just an interesting thing. It's a short read. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to scan it real quick. I'll wait. Oh, I see. I'm not super familiar with combine, but just knowing what little I do of you know of map and uh, mm-hmm. saying flat map, it it seems quite appropriate. And uh, switch to latest is actually pretty well named because I kind of guessed what it was going to be based on the name. And and browsing this, it looks like it does kind of what you would you would expect based on the name. This is interesting. So yeah, so it, it, it tell me if I'm wrong here, Tim, but it looks like they're talking about how uh, with map you can just sort of nicely perform operations on 
on everything that yeah, comes each through. Yeah, each array, yeah, exactly, yeah. Flat yeah. map, kind of like, uh, like, like true map, as I like to say, true compact map, um, is the one that says, is this nil? All right, whatever, just move on with your life. You know, mm-hmm. I'll just skip that particular one. And uh, switch to latest will give you the um, latest and greatest thing, like an example of the latest and greatest network request response, even if things came out of order. Does that sound right? I briefly, yeah, I mean, it, well, it says right on the tin here that, that um, the flat map um, can transforms publishers into a brand new a completely new publisher um, which you could then subscribe to I suppose what do you think mark so yeah so flat, so so map just um, operates on something like each it, member it of an array a, runs to a map right sorry yeah it just applies to each element of, of an array exactly but flat map uh, lets you pull out if you have a hierarchical structure mm-hmm. it, you can pull stuff out in, into a single level thing so say you have uh, just a general flat map would be say you had say you mapped over a set of of tuples, right? And you want to convert that into just a single list, right? Uh, where each one is on its own level. Uh, sorry, each one is on the same level instead of being hierarchical inside the tuples. That's what flat map does. That's different than compact map, which was oh. the, the mills. That's why they split. Remember, compact map used to be flat map, right? And yeah. then they split them out. So, okay, so now for the particular case here of using it for a publisher, I have to see exactly why they're doing this. So, so you reach into the inner publisher to get its elements is what it's saying all right well we can leave this for the viewers to paw it <laughs> the danger of the shadow fix i was completely completely wrong and unprepared to uh to give advice this is why uh yeah no i just thought it was interesting, lawyer, interesting little article here, just, uh, another way of looking at uh at, and you know as all this stuff happens and you were just mentioning before that none of us are experts at this stuff because it's all pretty pretty new so just uh, just uh, it caught my eye i read it through it read through it, it made sense yesterday but now i'm too tired to think about it so here's another quick hit. This is from uh, John Sundell posted posted this today. Uh, I kind of wondered about this, but I hadn't hadn't really gone too deep into it. But he posted today that the uh, Swift Playgrounds update. I guess I don't know if it was updated today or whatever. But uh, if you want to get into playing with Swift UI and combine uh, the Swift Playgrounds on iPad now supports Swift 5.1, which I think shipped is 5.1 just shipped or 5.2 um, became official, right? And then uh, and then uh, yeah. iOS 13 SDK, so Swift UI and Swift combined. And he's got a, a screenshot here of a uh, playground uh, basically doing he's called calling it swift ui by sundell which is kind of an in joke um yeah you lo- loaded up playground support so you can get a preview and you're actually getting you know swift ui previous so if, yeah if you don't if you have an ipad and you don't want to dive into updating catalina and that kind of stuff and just want to play around with this stuff this is uh is amazing stuff that's very yeah. cool i'm gonna have to play with that yeah, yeah. It means that all the other swift playground stuff has all become even more deprecated i wonder if all of the swift ui tutorials that apple has awesome. published will they all work on, well, that's what i'm saying like like, like i still have some of the original ones from when, when this uh, this came out and some of those original games are still they don't run properly because they're written in the previous version of swift it tells you right on right in the app when you try and run it this is written by this previous version of swift unless you want to go through and refactor all the code yourself well i mean but you know you can do that i just i just wonder if all the if all of the uh you know, the the sample code graphics libraries and all that are all fully fully operational on the ipad yeah, in know. a playground i was cleaning up my oh, no. yeah. oh wait it says there's no canvas feature in his text. Oh, really? Oh, he said somebody mentioned canvas here. Yeah, it says right there. The Swift UI support is still is super buggy, and there's no canvas feature, but it's still fun. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So it's still cool, but that's less cool <laughs> than it would have been if you had the full canvas. Right. Because right. that's kind of the main reason for for needing oh, is that what the they Catalina called the, the built-in simulator kind of thing that's that's in Xcode now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Canvas. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And that you could. Well, it it looks like it has the the simulator part, mm-hmm. so it'll show mm-hmm. you it'll show you the output, but you 
you can't, I believe you can't drag and drop things and construct your UIs graphically, visually, right, right. like you can in, in Xcode 11 on Catalina. All right. Okay. Which is too bad because that would have been cool. Yeah. So uh, another interesting thing, uh, this is uh, posted at, uh, pointed out to me by a friend on the Ray Wunderlich Slack team. Um, he posted this uh, thing and uh, it's an app called Penbook. It's on the App Store. They celebrated the fact that they went live on the App, on the app Store last week on the 24th. And it is a note-taking app, you know, written completely in Swift UI. They say, so nice. yeah, it's a the it's called Penbook, and if you look on their site, there is Penbook for Windows. So I'm, I'm sure it's, I think it was an existing app, but they've taken it and ported it over using Pencil Kit, which we've talked about, and mm-hmm. and the iPad OS, right, and and Swift UI, and it's got that that uh, pen um, paradigm we were talking about, uh, where you get the I don't know if you've seen in you are you running uh, you're running um, iOS 13. You know when you go to the mem- memo thing and yeah. photos, whatever, you get that sort of like little pen kit. You can choose a color and right. style right. marker. That's pencil kit, or mm-hmm. I believe that's pencil kit. Yeah, so the link here to download. I downloaded it, gave it a, gave it a try. I've got to break up and find my pencil and try it out, but I tried it with my finger. It worked pretty well, you know, mm-hmm. if you like writing with your finger. But um, <laughs> I might have to try this one. So is how much does this it's one cost? Or is it free? It wasn't very expensive. Yeah. 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 Off the top yeah. of my head, I think it was like, it was less than, less than five. It wasn't, wasn't inexpensive, but it wasn't... Uh, or actually, there's a, uh, there's a couple of links I've got here. One is to the actual site. Um, yeah, they show pictures of the, the pen kit as well. I'll open my iPad now to take a look. We'll get the official U.S. price. Yeah, but I've got a link here for Penbook. Uh, they're, they're Substack. Doc, they're talking about how Pencil Kit worked for them. Um, interesting. Uh, talk about the the tool drawer, which is what that thing is called, where you choose your markers and your colors and your thickness of your line. And It looks like it's free. Is it free? Or is, or is it get? There's a get. Get? Oh, I thought it was... Yeah. It has in-app purchases, so... One is uh, called a Swift UI Kickstart. Again, coming back to the idea of Swift UI. Uh, this is written by Daniel Steinberg. Um, I stumbled across it because he, for his birthday, he was offering it at like a discounted price. So I grabbed a copy of it. I'm about, you know, two thirds of the way through it. What I really like about Daniel Steinberg's writing style is he has a way of writing and speaking and presenting that takes a lot of the mystery out of what, what uh, Apple is doing. Um, he seems to have sort of a, a interesting um, perspective on where Apple's going with this stuff that they're doing. Um, if you've ever had a chance to see him speaking live, speak live about something, that's sort of the gist of what he talks about. Because um, he, he reasons, reasons about um, why things, the way things work and, and where he thinks that, the, that they're going in the future. Um, but I, I really like his style because it, it, it very clearly explains a lot of interesting things, uh, concepts that may be a little harder to grasp at first, but uh, he kind of puts it uh, at ease. It's been a few weeks since I looked at the book, but uh, there were a couple of examples I remember that stood out and I hadn't thought about it that way and it was a really interesting read so i recommend the ui kickstart quick ui kickstart by daniel steinberg first of all scary stuff the future is scary as one of my favorite podcasts likes to say future is scary <laughs> the future is scary all right uh, speaking of scary futures um my pick here is uh, actually not that scary um i've been playing around with swift ui as i've been saying for many many months now and uh, they keep changing the language darn it um you know surprise surprise um but i found this uh, website here called swift ui cheat sheet and it's got uh, pretty much every command you might think you want to use um inside and plus uh, links to other resources. Like if you're looking to set up a text field, which is what I was trying to do, like text field, 
obviously is is it creates a field just like you normally would have you can have a placeholder value um but one of the things that kind of caught me by surprise was and shouldn't caught me by surprise is you have to create a state variable first uh for the the text text field to um, become equivalent to and then use that as your value inside your your field and you can do text field or secure field which is like a password field um to create a text field on the screen and i've, I've been also enjo- as a side note i've also been enjoying um paul hudson's uh hacking with swift videos that he's been posting for the last you know couple of weeks um on uh on his uh web on his youtube channel and uh, yeah they're pretty quick uh you know five minute long uh example lessons on how to do various things like last this last week or last couple of days uh he's been covering drawing on the on the in your apps uh you know drawing uh using arcs and uh circles and shapes uh, and um insettable shapes that uh um different protocols that that work inside of swift ui so that's kind of cool so anyway my, my pick this week for the swift ui folks is this uh swift ui cheat sheet and notice it's only been updated five months ago so i wonder if it really is up to date i would think that since it's a github page they would keep it up to date right wouldn't you i see commits as of october 30th okay so it is updated okay when i look into the the list of commits yeah just like there's definitely the folder yeah jumps it was like june august a couple times in august and then nothing until october so maybe somebody's tracking the releases or something yeah yeah cool all right Okay, so we have an article by uh, Alexander Grebenyuk about the Swift UI layout system. And I think it's really kind of a neat one to look at and, and read and, and try to understand based on the diagrams and screenshots that he's made, where he talks about how Swift UI's layout system works, especially when compared to auto layout. And it works quite differently. And he points that out, right, that auto layout, you more or less have a relationship between anything you wanted, whereas Swift UI works kind of more like the old frame-based layout. Right? Like, even just this three step process of like, cool. Uh, step one, the parent proposes a size for the child. Step two, the child says, I'm going to choose my size. And then step three, the parent places the child in the parent's coordinate space. And generally with sensible defaults like centering rather than, I think, upper left that the old frame layout used to do. And there's other sort of nice things that work too, right? Like, I, I know that images, image views were always kind of a pain to work with um, in any sophisticated way in auto layout, or at least I found it kind of painful where you're sort of weird things would happen if you had a constraint set incorrectly. Whereas in this case, it's like, well, if I don't explicitly tell the layout system that I want this to be resizable, I can make the frame anything a darn well please. The actual size of the image is what will be respected. And so that's a little bit easier to sort of grok through what's going on. And then he also talks about the um, the stacks, right? The H stack, V stack, and Z stack for horizontal, vertical, and 3D, back to front, for lack of a better word. Stacking and sort of how that system works. I think they sort of take the concept of what UI stack view did, but makes it even easier to understand because you don't have the sort of same paradigm that auto layout has and, and arguably some of the, the baggage that auto layout had as it went from like iOS, what, six onwards. Um, and also kind of towards the tail end, he talks about how uh, it's not layout specific per se, but the Swift UI can take a peek at the environment variables such as size categories. You can say, cool, um, are we in the large size category? Give it 20 points. Of padding versus you know ten points, mm. which I think is a little bit easier in some respects. But I honestly don't know without having tried this in any sort of major realistic project as to whether that's better or worse than the way size classes used to work. Like make like maybe it works really well for like tutorial stuff, and then when you're in an actual team, maybe it's an absolute nightmare. I'm not sure. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I've been playing playing around with uh, auto or sorry with, with UI quite a bit, and it it does. There are some things that are a bit odd, um, some weird things to learn. Like I still haven't figured out how to get an image to fill the entire screen. Like it, it wants to use safe area, so you get you know the the chin and the head bump at the top. Um, I haven't quite figured out how to sort out how to get that, but you know I think looking at this might make it um, more understandable. I think in in the past, oh, there's tabs here. Look at this. Uh, in the in the past, you would um, you know you'd get the size of the window and then you would you would basically scale your image to fit the window you know back in the frame frame days right um yeah so it's it's been a bit tricky but thing and i've got a little bit of one of my picks is going to be talking about uh, a little thing i discovered in xcode that i wasn't aware of and I, most people haven't talked about yet though but uh, kind of handy helpful for this this kind of stuff yeah but this this is an interesting interesting good read neat yeah i haven't tried out your scenario but looking at the the little note he has here about safe area so yeah. the one thing i do like is that the safe area is what you're dealing with by default and then you have to go out of your way yes. to not to do the default yeah. um, and it appears to me that adding a dot edges ignoring safe area with a parameter of dot all is probably what you would want just based yeah, on the name but like I haven't we, tried that we had a we had a when we went from system six when we went from iOS six to iOS seven you remember they had that that um, edge inset or edge offset or something like that um, that we had to override or turn off when we were if we were laying up for both OS's or iOS's right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think it's something related to that, right? Like it's honoring that that space that's you know arbitrarily set there. Like in the in the diagram here, the first diagram where he's got the hello world um, label in the middle of, and he's got the yellow boxes or frames to sort of show how the centering works. You see what I mean? About like the the line across the bottom, which is where the the home area is, and then you've got the notch area at the top. But mm-hmm. I've been able to get the image to fill that entire rectangle, but not extend into the upper or lower parts, right? Yeah. Even trying this edges ignoring safe area. I haven't tried that yet. No, no. I just, it's, uh, yeah. and that'll that'll be interesting. And I'm kind of curious. To, we'll, we'll get to, when we get to my pick. You'll see it. I mean, I'm kind of curious if that's if that's an option that, that I maybe missed or hadn't seen or didn't understand. But yeah, cool. I have to pick this one for a drive. So what I, what I was going to sh- show you was was I've been using X, uh, I've been closing this this last pane over here um, when I've been working Catalina and I've been working on you know various things. And so let me just move this over a bit. And you can see that um, if I it's funny because it is a bit buggy in terms of how this this uh, live preview thing works um, but what I discovered was really cool and, um, and that is this because you know how you can you can design in the um, in the live preview as well waiting for it to render here all right yeah so so this is this is sort of the login screen I was working on and you see how that the I've got the box here at the top and bottom so anyway what I was I was playing around with with these this things like the the, the um, this username field and password field here so but what I discovered is like if I click on the text field here um, it's high it's it becomes highlighted and I'm working on if I click on the password field, which is a secure field here, um, you know, if we click on the button, so on and so forth. So I've been working away on this, trying to figure out all these different property um, modifiers, right? So like, you know, you get your text field here. Um, you know, like for, for if I want to have a text field, you have to have a state. So I have to create a state variable at the top here. And then, um, you know, I want to have padding or background color or whatever I want to have in here. So I've been working with this and trying to like, you know, look it up on the documentation and stuff like that. But what I discovered is if you open this last pane over here, which nobody talks about and then I click on a text field. Um, I get these property things, almost like um, like the, the uh, it's the same um, uh, screen that you have in the attributes inspector from Interface Builder. And you can go in here now, and so like for instance, I can go and I can say, well, I don't want the background to be white. I want the background to be red, and it will change the the background of this. It'll take a minute to render. There you go. See that? And if I and I can change it to whatever color I want. So if I want white, um, I can play with the corner radius by changing the number in this here. 
here to 10 or something like outrageous. Oops. And wait a second for it to render. So it's handy to, to be able to use these these things. And what it does, it actually changes the code here in in the, the code view as well, right? So it's kind of handy, like a visual editor to kind of see what's going on. Like I can see what my, my state variable is here, right? I can see the, the, the placeholder text that's in the text field. So it was handy when I was trying to figure out how to, you know, to lay this stuff out. Once I stumbled across this view, I could see what, um, what you know, options I had available for, like if I'm working on a button or something like that. That's my pick this week is, is to talk about how um, you can go in and play around with these things. And if I want to add a new modifier. This is what I was talking about with the edges before. Let's say if I want to click on that image. So I'm not, I've not got the image highlighted. This little add modifier thing at the bottom, if I can get it to pop up. Come on, baby. There you go. Yeah, it really pays to have a 16 gig or MacBook 16 with uh, lots of memory. So you see this big long scrolling thing here. These are all the attributes that you can apply to this particular item, like this image here, right? So let's see, what were we talking about? Edges or something? Edges ignoring safe area. There it is. This guy right here, right? Yep. If I choose that, and what was the property? All, right? All. Yeah, so I see how that's not... And maybe you have to get rid of this aspect ratio, right? Comment that out. Let's look at your... Uh, yeah, there it is. That. Yeah. Wow, that was easy. So now, for those of you on the phone, driving at home, my uh, the image now has has fit the uh, entire screen, entire, entire window. Let me just shrink this down a bit. There you go. So you can see it's fit the whole window, right? So it's cool. Like, I mean, um, I had, like, I, I I don't think I've ever... Maybe I should probably go back and watch one of the WWDC videos, but I don't think I've ever worked in... In the you know six months I've been working with or five months that I've been working with with SwiftUI, I've never had this this last pane open mm. until the other day when I just and I just stumbled across it. I was working on this stuff, right? There you go. Yeah, it's nice. actually kind of new to me, and I probably should rewatch some of those sessions because maybe they briefly showed it, but it, it wasn't front and center. And I I do like the fact that this goes a long way towards something I'd said before, which is that the whole canvas thing and the way it works with the texts in live updating, it, it just seems like it really fully realizes what what's storyboards in interface builder in particular we're trying to do yeah yeah so I'm, I'm hoping that they'll have a storyboard equivalent for this to do more flows rather than the sort of the nib based sort of look and feel that they have here yeah yeah but yeah you can see what i was what i was trying to do i was trying to replicate our login screen um using swift ui and yes and again it's like you know it's amazing that you can do it in this much code right you know, these few lines yeah i think the underrated thing from this uh, this little inspector panel that um, you've shown me and mark is that it, it actually makes it kind of discoverable in a way that maybe the docs wouldn't make yeah, super exactly. obvious. Like, what does this thing do? I don't know. Let me try it and see if it does anything. Yeah, and like so, so you know, I've been I've been struggling. I mean, I've been playing around with you know trying to get like you know trying to make the buttons fit the, the view in a pleasing way. You know, because if you if you don't have any padding on these these uh, text fields, they go edge to edge, right? And depending on what what uh, like if the image behind it was set to uh, I think it was fill, um, they would extend off the screen and it makes no sense right you know you look at it and even even as a non-designer you would go well, what the is that doing right and how do i make the button the same width as a text field because it's a different kind of object right and, and i'm sure if you look at it, it's not pixel perfect anyway it looks to me it looks like off by a nudge right oh, um, but it's yeah probably, it's probably this, because you have both the image and the, the v stack inside a z stack so the z so the well, z stack is being sized by the resizable yeah. of the image so and the, so the v stack goes to the edge of the z stack yeah so yeah, and using that parent-child model that, that Jaime was just talking about, exactly right. like like right. 
like right. in order to get the image to sit, in order to get these text fields to sit on top of the image, I had to put it in a, in a Z stack, which is the three dimensional front to back thing that Jaime was talking about, or really? alignment, I guess we'd call it back in the day, right? Um, so yeah, in order, so I had to put the, I, I, I don't think it matters if I put the image before or after, but because it's it's in the same stack as at the same level as the V stack, right? So the text fields are contained in in here as well, right? Like you see, I don't know if you can see the blue line that's around here now that I've got that selected. Yep. Yeah. So which is handy, right? Um, but yeah, so you can see that that all of this. I wonder if it's collapsible. Oh, it is collapsible. Look at that. You can even collapse it like uh, in like you do in in regular code, well, which makes sense because it's code. Duh. But yeah, so like yeah, you can see that the Z stack and the V stack are at the same level. That was my that was what I discovered just through poking around with things that I could get you know lay it to work the way it worked the way I wanted it to. That's cool. Problem solved. <laughs> it, it is a, a brave new world, and I I do hope that there are some significant V two changes for Swift UI in mm-hmm. twenty twenty. Yeah. Um, but it is pretty neat to see where they're they're going with this, and I'm I'm pretty excited about. It, it sounds weird to say, but I'm kind of excited to relearn how UI stuff works on iOS. Yeah, yeah. But even I just clicked on the V stack here. Even, even it has the ability to have modifiers. But what's weird about this add modifier thing is is it seems to be that everything is available on on each object, right? You know, it comes up here. Like even if it's not reasonable, it's not filtering it down yeah, in any way. See. Like I would I would expect. Yeah. So yeah. Every, corner radius like why would i have a corner radius on a v-stack right yeah i, f- I forget how v-stack works but that might actually apply to everything that's within it oh you think? I think v-stack well as but, this guy talked about the article would add but, the, but you wouldn't have something well stop scrolling so fast Tim. <laughs> you sorry. wouldn't have uh auto capitalization for example set on a v-stack why not that's in your list i mean maybe we want to auto capitalize the secure field that he has here in his example you know yeah make it so you could never type in the right password because it auto capitalizes what you're typing yeah. i don't know you're right yeah i, I being facetious here, I don't, I don't know that some of these make a whole lot of sense without understanding sort of the the, the order of operations that SwiftUI yeah. interprets these things. Yeah. All right. You, but would, is... you wouldn't have a navigation bar title on your on your V stack. Right. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. True. <laughs> but it is handy to have like just about everything. It would it would be it would be better if it was more contextual for sure. Right. Right. But but it, yeah, scale the fit, scale the fill. Like these these are things that like as a designer who hasn't worked in you know Swift or even Objective C for the last, you know, 10 years, they wouldn't know what, they'd kind of go, well, what does this one do? What does this one do, you know? But this, they, they don't have to know the code to do this. Like, you and, you and I both know it's aspect ratio. What is that aspect it's out here somewhere? Right? Well, I commented it out, right? Um, like, they wouldn't necessarily need to know spe- specifically what this is. I haven't figured out how to kind of do colors yet, because, you know, color you can do with RGB color and stuff like that. Um, I do have an example of it here. Yeah, like, here's here, here's a color with red, right, down here? Yeah, so, so, uh, so but, what, what, what don't you know how to do? So, well, I, I know how to do it, but I, I don't know how to do it in this this picker mode, right? Oh, 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 oh. yeah. So you have background. Oh. I've got custom, but like, yeah, like, like, yeah. So you, you and I both know. Like, and I'm just playing around the, the the different values here to try and get this, this green button to be the green I want, right? right? I could go look it up, and and it's it's the same thing. It's just, instead of but you know, it'd be nice like, to have the color wheel there that you could click on or something like that. Yeah, like yeah. we have an interest build, and then have yeah. you know previously used colors like little swatches and stuff like that. But yeah. right, yeah. So it's kind of cool. I mean, it's it sort of takes away a lot of the the mystery like you know because in the demos they did at the wwc you know they were they were going in here they were going into this little attribute uh, object library here and they were just dragging you know edit button no i want an edit button here and just drag it in and drop it into the stack right right and then it just adds the code there's the edit button right there right you know and so you can barely see it here but if i you know now i can go in with my put my cursor here and then go and add a modifier to it right and then just find one that makes sense like let's see oh like i even saw dark mode 
in here too. Like there's a uh, dark mode stuff. Yeah, but you can sort of play you know, button style, for instance. Or was it a button I put in? Yeah, the button. I can come in and change the, the the default button style or something else, right? So it's cool. You can change the text, you know. But that's an example of, of how how easy it is to come and try and find something here, right? Like this would be. Yeah, I mean, that's neat. My pick this week is a Swift UI Views book, and it's sort of similar to the pick that Jaime had a couple of weeks ago, I think. What was that link to? It was a, a, talking about uh, parent and child and different kind of things like that. So this this book, uh, this is a sample book that I, that I picked up. Um, There's a, a full book you can buy, but the sample book was pretty pretty complete too, and um, uh, it's written by these people over at Big Mountain Studios and uh, covers basic concepts in Swift UI, but also things like views and modifiers, talks about, you know, um, relationships parent child which we talked about before where you have the parent view and the child view and they're contained with it's sort of like frame and bounds in a sense yes um but it goes through you know, a couple of different things v stacks h stacks you know um z stacks as well um date pickers forms lists you know navigation views you know text fields toggles um and kind of run so you get 186 pages for free to begin with um but then but then you can buy the full full book and i'm assuming that the book is going to be updated as we go because things have changed a bit in, um, in the last little while. But yeah, so if you're if you're sort of a more l- visual learner, um, it's got like a, a each page has like a, a view, like in in an app, and uh, gives you the code for how they how they got to there. So if you're that kind of learner where you need to see visually what you're doing as well as having the, the code to copy or emulate, um, this will walk you through how to do a whole bunch of different things in SwiftUI. This is a little quickly move, quick moving slideshow on the um, on the site here. But yeah, I just thought it was really kind of cool um the book claims to have over 350 uh, screenshots so this is like you're almost getting half the book for free to have a look through how much is the book let's have a look i wonder if it's on sale for black black friday well you've, you've linked the free book right but then there's yeah. the full book at the top navigation i, know, I clicked on the link i'm just i'm scrolling through the thing looking for a price where's the buy now how much money would you it, it, pay it, now it, it, it's sort of weird so <laughs> i don't know where it is normally but if you scroll down a little bit you'll see the header float in oh, it's geez. like a, like a oh. brown header and you can buy for or $59 US or three think- easy payments of $22. Now, wouldn't you think he'd have a Black Friday sale? Jeez. I mean, he's got his Twitter. If you go to uh, Big Mountain Studio, he's got his Twitter account like right there. I think he'd tweet at him. He's like, bro, give yeah. me those those fat discounts. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, now, how much would purchase. you pay? A lot less because it's Black Friday, bro. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, it's by Mark Moykens. Moy- Moy- is the name of the gentleman who wrote the book. Yeah, cool. Anyway, I, I just I thought it looked, looked interesting. Thumb through it a bit. If you can thumb through books on iBooks, I don't know. About it as an EPUB, um, yeah, and that's uh, that's cool. I thought I saw it on on the Apple um, iBook Store, but apparently no, it's, it's sold as an EPUB, and I dragged it into into my iBook, which is why it's only on one computer, not all of them. There you go. That's my pick for today. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool that this sort of material exists. So, so Mark had mentioned the Paul Hudson material before that was on the yes. Black Friday sale. Um, yep. I definitely do think when you have something that is fast moving, like Swift UI is, I definitely appreciate the eBooks because they tend mm-hmm. to get updated pretty pretty regularly with those it probably would be a disaster if you had a, a actual paper book of some sort with this sort of thing even though that is my personal preference for reading where, where possible cool yeah oh black friday 50 percent off everything let's click on this coupon code coming soon so we'll have to watch his space for, for the code wait that wasn't the code itself like i'd interpreted it ambiguously based like on coming the soon screen. is the code <laughs> yeah because it, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous but i actually looked at the main page and there is stuff that is coming soon like the swift UI animations uh, book he's got, right? Or that he's coming soon. So I thought maybe that was the uh, the code. 
So we have some follow-up. We have one follow-up item, it looks like, from last week. Um, and Well, this is from the last couple of shows, I should say. Um, and this has to do with our, our sort of search for the perfect Swift UI examples. And uh, I think it's growing more and more. I've been doing a lot, as you know, I've been doing a lot of Swift UI. Those are people who've been listening to the show. Um, headline is, seven awesome Swift open source Swift UI projects to inspire you. And uh, I didn't, at the end, I didn't make the mental connection these were actually open source. I thought they were actually apps on the App Store. But, like, there's one here called Swift uh, Movie. Swift UI, which is like a movie trailer kind of, you know, top rated kind of top iTunes top thing. Uh, there's a Reddit client. There's a recipes app, which uh, this is an interesting one because it uses a single state controller to manage all the different views in the app. Um, there's a, there's a uh, extension to the standard Swift UI library. And uh, there's a to-do app, which is pretty pretty basic, pretty simple. But what's cool about these is all of these are, are on on GitHub, and you can download the source code, and you can sort of paw through how they're they're made. And some of them are quite like the first one, the movie one. I looked at the code earlier today. It's quite extensive in terms of how it's you know split out and. You know, because everybody's sort of saying that, that Swift UI is kind of a toy right now, right? Um, but it seems to have quite a bit of quite a bit of flexibility, and especially when you when you start, you know, getting a bit more abstracted with it. You know, the Fourier um, series visualizer is so pretty. I was gonna say that's my favorite one by a long shot. Which one is this? Number seven. Oh, the Number Fourier seven. one. Yeah, I Number missed seven. that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't scroll far enough. That's just like that's like math porn. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Okay, yeah, so, I really yeah, like so, the uh, the animation with the unit circle there on the side. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so you now you have to explain this to me because I don't. I don't get it. So the Fourier is the little circly things, the, the geometry there, and then so Fourier like a series is um, uh, series. So it's a sum, and it's the it's it's the sum of sine waves of different frequencies. And the idea is that if you make an infinite sum of uh, different frequency waves, you can build any shape you want. So you can re- regard shapes that don't look like they have any periodicity or any smoothness to them as uh, actually what you get when you add up um, a lot of waves of different frequencies. And uh, T- technically, what you described as a, a Fourier transform, uh, if it would. To, to take any arbitrary signal, so, but to make a Fourier right, series, yeah. it does have to be a, a periodic signal. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah so this yeah. is like, 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 to me, this is like, I go back to my synthesizer days, this is the different waveform types for, for creating synthesis, right? Of sound? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, and I, I just I hadn't looked at the, uh, the first time I looked at this page, it was like a week ago, and I'm looking at it again now, and, and it's demonstrating different sawtooth and square wave, and I would assume a sine wave would be really boring if they haven't got it here. No, a sine wave wouldn't, wouldn't be boring, actually. I mean, Actually, what what he is showing is is uh, resolving this in terms of of sine waves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, every, every okay. circle there is a sine wave of a particular yes. frequency. So you oh, okay. uh, and so having the circles all hinging on each other like this is basically a way of adding up all the sine waves. I think I got that right, but you can tell, tell me if, yeah. I, if I'm yeah. No, that's exactly right. So so you you add them up with a different uh, factor in front, an amplitude in front, and that's how you create all the different the different ones. So if you have something where the largest amplitude is at the lowest frequency, like this one, which is represented by the the biggest circle going around most slowly, then you get something that approximates the uh, a curve with that frequency. So the 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 pulses in the in the picture are the the you know the kind of the gross large pulses are at the frequency of that first circle. But then all the refinements come in by adding smaller sine waves of higher frequency, hmm. and so you can see the circles are getting smaller as as uh, as the frequency goes up. If you look at the picture on the left, sure, yeah, yeah. 
Cool. Yes, and of course you can download that code and have a look at it too, which I didn't do. Yeah. So <laughs> there is also a, a watch app here. I should mention about the SwiftUI example. So yeah, it's kind of a cool little page here. Seven seven examples for you to sort of uh, download and go crazy with. I guess these are impressive. These yeah. are these are you know substantial looking pieces of work. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Like no no fooling around here. Seriously. Yeah. I'd be interested to see what the um, kind of persistence and data management and network synchronization story is with these because that's the kind of non UI bit and how is that a little bit different to fit into the new UI. And then also to-do app is such a uh, classic proving ground for different kinds of mm-hmm. architectures. It would be interesting. You could write an article just looking at this to-do app and Swift UI side by side, mm. you know, with um, something done with a uh, straight up MVC. So Tim, I haven't, I haven't looked at any of the code, but are, are these fully functional apps or are they just kind of the UI part of it as an example? No, no, they're, they're quite, they're quite fully, uh, fully extensive. Functional. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I was saying though, is when you, when you start digging through them, it's not like, you know, the, there isn't like one single view in most of these apps. It's like mm-hmm. it's it's broken down into you know uh, different classes and different you know m- uh, modes and like how you would break out a complicated app to sort yeah. of manage it really. You know? yeah. Different yeah. folders and groups and things like that. Things like models and views and things like that. So there's a lot of structure to them. And as, I mean they're not simple. There's they're they're quite extensive in terms of the number of uh, classes and files in them. Right. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was surprised by that actually when I looked at it. You know, yeah, I, cool. Again, like I've been playing around with with SwiftUI. I haven't really got into building a, a single app yet, but uh, you know, I've, I've done things like the login view controller and stuff like that. Yep. Just try and do that, you know, because I'm still playing around with the layout. Yeah, I've been playing around with uh, embedding a collection view using the UI view representable mm-hmm. uh, into Swift UI. It's kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, because there still isn't any support. Because there is no views. actual collection view. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you remember when collection views came first came out. I was at WWDC when when the, it was two French dudes um, who were were hired by Apple at that point in time who came up with the idea, and it was it was very like you know held together with bailing billing wire and, and gaffer tape and stuff like that. Like it was a very strange uh, a way of doing it. It was kind of like they came up with this idea. Apple really liked it, hired them, you know, rolled it into the OS and, and uh, it's it's kind of evolved over the years, but it, but it hasn't, you know, it's like a, um, it's not as well developed as, it's not as easy to use as a table view was, right? Like table views were like from the get-go were pretty simple to use, right? You threw some data at a thing and you got some table cells, right? Yeah. Well, and, you know, uh, if, you, if you use like the flow, the built-in flow layout to do a grid, yeah, that's it's, it's pretty easy. Used. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but using you're right. Using a uh, a custom layout is is a little bit a uh, little bit more complicated and has a kind of different way of thinking about things a little bit. Yeah, yeah. the flow layout gives you something like like if you look at the photo app where you've got the tiles, you know, right. tiled images or, or like yep. a Pinterest layout kind of thing. That's pretty simple to do in, in that kind of um, way, but. It's surprised Apple hasn't rolled out more canned layouts because there is so much potential in the way the architecture of Collection View was built. You know, yeah. you could have a, like people have a CSS gallery. You could have like a layout gallery. I'm sure there's some demo projects like that. But yeah. as you point out, it's a little better hidden than, or I don't know, it's a little less widely known than, than you think it might be. People are usually just subclassing and modifying one of the like two or three the main layout, layouts yeah. rather than doing it from scratch. Yeah, but it is super powerful if you if you actually get down under the under the hood. I think a challenge for them is that you know Swift UI if you between the lines it's doing a lot of the stuff that we've been banging our heads against the wall for the last four years you know like with auto layout and size classes and all that kind of stuff they've now sort of made it you know you just declare what you want and it magically fits to whatever device you're looking at it on which is you know we were struggling with that for many many years right Almost yeah 10 I, years of I, I still think it, it's it's great for simple layouts but if you start doing real complicated stuff it gets kind of kind of gnarly we don't have that much yeah, experience yeah. with it yet so I, I can't say for sure maybe it does get easier as you get you know get used to it and wrap your brain around how it actually works but yeah yeah uh, well, this is where you say that your mileage may vary yeah exactly <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> but right. Alexis, go back to your point of being surprised why Apple hasn't released more stuff. I, it, it makes me wonder about the question I've been asking for at least six months is, you know, why are they still doing stuff with collection view if Swift UI is the future, right? And at that, mm. this year's WBC, they had, it was weird. They had the whole Swift UI track. And then they had a couple of really nice talks about collection view that were real nice improvements, like this kind of updating data source, you know, almost like, you know, using the PubSub type of approach to, to handling uh, collection views using combined and all that. And, and it, I'm just like, well, which is it? You know, which way are we going? Is it worth investing time in collection views? Are they going to be around in a year? I, I, who knows? They were using Combine everywhere too, right? Like they yeah. were putting, they were using Combine in these collection view kind of stuff as well, right? Right, right. And they had like, because they had, I went to one Combine talk and it was kind of like, oh, here are the really, you know, here are the really gnarly ways of dealing dealing with Combine. And then just use Swift UI and it becomes simple. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I don't, I, I don't think they know either, to be honest. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, a big, it's a big company. You're going to have people who are excited to work on the new thing and are very optimistic about it and are pushing it forward and you're going to have other people who are uh, refining and extending something that works quite well and is relied on, you know, across hundreds of millions of devices every day and see that as a sensible use of time too. And we don't really know what the future is going to hold. You know, if if, if SwiftUI turns out to uh, obviously and clearly be a better and more productive way to produce really polished results, then I'm sure they'll start to put more resource and time behind that and that will be how they build new things when there's an option to do it. But we'll see. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see. I I still wonder if the, if the collection view team that was building all that stuff even knew that Swift UI existed until WWDC, <laughs> and were they as surprised by, as the rest of us? Some some of the Apple people I talked to said they don't hear about things until they actually go to WWDC. Yeah, right? yeah, you hear the, you hear that a lot. Well, famously, yeah. that was the case with Swift itself. With Swift so itself, right? Many many yeah. people who you know were surprised by it uh, within the organization. Well, that said, the I just saw a tweet today. The the team, uh, the Swift UI team, is hiring Swift UI framework engineers. So if if you're interested. <laughs> Maybe you can tag along. I'll post a link in the show notes. Definitely an exciting right. time for that kind yeah. of work. Yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, so a couple of things here. Uh, a friend of mine posted a, a, a link to this article on um, on LinkedIn uh, talking about, said that the title is Why I Quit Using Observable Object in Swift UI and talks about building really complicated, or when you get into really complicated apps, uh, he, find, he found that the performance was lacking. So I know, Mark, you were saying you read this one. Yeah, well, I did. Right? And, and you're exactly right. It, he is talking about, so the base, basically the issue is is when you use observable object or any of the bindings in Swift UI, really what makes them nice but in his case is a disadvantage is that uh, it will every time you make an, any kind of update uh, it will it will render re-render everything that's that's kind of how it's supposed to work but uh, if you have thousands and thousands of views which is what he says uh, he has in his app uh, then he starts seeing a performance hit and so he came up with some solutions on on other techniques you can use he tried to first tried to explore uh, filtering out certain changes and don't so don't update on every change just only change on certain changes and try to try to cut down the thing and and he comes up with some technique techniques to do it and you know basically yeah, read the article but basically he, he decides they're kind of complicated and barely worth it so he doesn't want to use the scheme at all but but it, it but it really is as far as I can tell a function of the fact that he's using lots and lots and lots of views more than most people are going to use I think it's pretty rare that you have thousands of views in, in this kind of app uh, and let's be honest it's still version one so there's plenty of room for Apple to improve things 
things. So some of these issues might just go away in the next version. Yeah. So he does talk about a couple of things, but he talks, one thing he talks about the end here is uh, using a publisher instead of an observable object, which I think Apple did demonstrate that technique at some of the more advanced talks at WWDC this year, but yeah. more, more respect to combine than, than 50 UI per se. Right. right? So, so Swift UI is built on top of combine. Of course it uses combine, but it makes its own version of the, uh, of the, of the publishers and the, and the, uh, subscribers through the app state and app binding and then the ad observable object. So yeah, if you go underneath the hood and don't use the you know SwiftUI convenience methods uh, and use straight combine, then sure, you can spin your own, write your own and, and probably solve any issue that you that you might have. Yeah, and in the middle is a, the funny part is a friend of mine's big up, big up on this uh, Yodog guy. He had to explain to him who, who he was a few months ago, but there's a Yodog. Yodog, we heard you like SwiftUI, so we put an observable object inside an observable object as another method that they use there. Yeah. That would be exhibit. So that, so that guy is exhibit a rapper who the reason that internet meme even came about the yo dog, I heard you like X. So we put X in your X so you can X while you're Xing. Right. Right. Um, Um, that is from, uh, pimp my ride from MTV or VH1. Kind of which where they oh, yeah, would yeah. do crazy things like you know you'd have some beat up car somebody would bring in and they'd you know they'd pimp Put it a hot up tub they'd, they'd, in it and stuff like that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's like oh i heard you like playing you know video games we have like this video game that has like another monitor attached to it you can play a video game while you're playing a video game uh-huh. right. stuff. play a video game in your video game yo dog yeah yeah there's probably a better example than that but uh, i haven't seen that show in a long time and so. you can do that while driving at home if you want to <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And then uh, the last one, of course, is we talked about this one before. So I've got the safe for work version of it. Um, this is Gosh Darn Swift UI. And I guess the folks over at Gosh Darn, I'm not sure if it's the same bunch of people who do the other Gosh Darn Swift and Gosh Darn uh, Objective-C, but um, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. Uh, Soren, unpronounceable last name, um, basically put this uh, list together. Uh, this is uh, sort of some of the things that you can do in Swift UI. Similar idea, I guess, to your, your uh, cheat sheet there. But all the sort of how you would convert from, say, UI kit to swift ui um you know what what the equivalents are and i think this is a, a, a live document so because i think it's grown over time that i've since i first looked at it um and so it shows you how to you know how to control the, the look and feel of things in swift ui text fields secure fields images nav stacks date pickers you know uh steppers v stack z stacks or z stacks if you're in canada uh lists you know things like that scroll views and on and on it's good that it's kept up to date because it was a wild season from launch at WWDC to actual 1.0 of uh, Swift UI come September. So a lot of those changes were, were pretty drastic for naming and how things worked out. So pretty nice to see somebody have it all sort of collated here. Yeah, some advanced things like how to how to bring a Facebook or first right how to bring a framework into into uh, Swift UI in UI Kit. Interesting thing at the bottom there. And view uh, UI view controller representable. Yeah, cool stuff. I've been using a lot of UI view representable later lately. Have you? Yeah. Purposely chose not to use the view controller representable because I wanted to get into the mode of not having any view controllers. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Kind of interesting. It's it's kind of magical the way it works. Yeah. If you think about it, there's the whole idea of Swift UI is that everything is a disposable value type immutable struct, sort of, you know, if you ignore the mutability caused by the binding variables, but forget about that. So, so, so you have a, so you have a, a, a struct uh, that has a sort of the equivalent 
equivalent of a subview that you'd like it to be a class, right? That it, that's a mutable class mm-hmm. that is a reference type that is not going to get thrown away when this thing gets refreshed, right? The struct, the level above gets thrown away and it creates a new one every time there's a change in the state variable, right? And it creates a new struct. But yet this class that is, quote, a subview, don't complain that I'm saying subview, I know it's not, uh, but but a, a child view, let's call it that. But right. that this thing is a class. It's a UI kit class. So how does that all work? How do you have a parent view, which is a immutable struct, have a mutable, uh, indestructible, child, yeah. quote, child class? So there's some there's some magic they did with this make UI view and make make update UI view and make coordinator stuff where you where where you it causes make UI view once the first time you render and that's where you can create your UI kit class and every time it refreshes Swift UI will remember where that class is and give you it in the update UI view it'll it'll call update UI view with that same object for that is mm. your view and then you can do stuff to it even though even though the parent got thrown away and all the other sibling views, you know, child children views all got thrown away and got regenerated. The objects are gone or the structure gone. This one still is able to grab your existing one and pull it in and use it. And somehow it knows where that one is. I mean, it's the same kind of, you know, stuff that's going on with binding variables, but it seems a little bit magical, but it's cool. It works. Hmm. And the coordinator, the coordinator is this helper object that you can create and you can use that for, uh, for example, for uh, having a, a delegate that this thing might call out to because there are no really delegates in SwiftUI. It doesn't make sense. You, know, you can't have a delegate back to uh, just think of the, the mechanism of uh, if you were to try to have the parent view be a, a delegate of the child view, let's say, well, just the fact because everything's value type, just by passing self into the child and assigning it to the delegate, you make a new copy of the parent. So that delegate would never call back to the same one that you started with. It would call back to a copy of it, right? Because it's all value typed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, so delegates don't make much sense in SwiftUI, but if you're using UI kit stuff, well, you kind of need delegates. So you use this magic of the coordinator, which gives you a class that is a reference type thing that uh, that you can use as your delegate. Kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I see that they link back to the Apple tutorials too. I wonder if have, they, have those been kept up to date? I wonder. I went through those when WWDC first was a new th- a thing. Oh, there's also link, links back to the documentation on each one of these things as well. Cool. Yeah. So there you go. Gosh, guard, Swift UI. Mm-hmm. That's our pick. All right. So I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Mark R at smapsoft.com. And how many people want to get in touch with you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the hair. All right. My name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. And so until next time, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. 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 This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. This is friend of the show, Mike Finockmans. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on Patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.